0: Hi, I'm Jana Marashligil in Amsterdam.
1: And I'm Laura Empane in Vienna.
0: And this is Not Loud Enough,
1: a podcast that delivers authentic conversations about actions we take to build a more inclusive and empowering world.
0: Brought to you by two very good friends and their guests across various industries. <music>
1: In today's episode, we dive into what inclusion means and how it can be a reality beyond checking boxes. We ask what is missing to allow us to create action in order to move forward, to build more humane, inclusive environments in which individuals have the space to thrive, in which we feel safe and we belong. What kind of structures do we need to put in place and how can we work together to achieve that? And finally, what concrete actions can we take to move the needle?
0: These are many questions, Laura, for our conversations today. Luckily, we are not alone today. This is episode eight, and uh, it's a special one as we kick off our series of conversations together with international guests. And we'll reflect upon all these matters uh, and get some answers together with uh, Imran Rehman and Sean Ardes, uh, who join us from Vienna. Sean, I hope I didn't mispronounce your last name.
2: No, it's perfect. I've I've heard words. (laughs) I know what it means to have
0: your name mispronounced. So if, if I did, please do let me know. So welcome, welcome, both of you. We are so excited to have you
1: with us today on the podcast.
3: Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, me too.
1: So happy that we get to talk the four of us uh, today and share our conversation uh, with the world. I had the pleasure to meet both of you earlier this year in April um, in, in Vienna when we had such a meaningful meaningful exchange about our work, and um, we found many common grounds with regards uh, to our purpose, and here we are today. And I have to to also mention uh, that around the same time, I also took part to a series of um, online workshops on leadership that that you gave, and I highly recommend this this online workshop, and maybe later you can also tell us uh, how uh, uh, people can, can join you. Now, you are both founders of uh, Kokoro, a digital tool that measures psychological safety, belonging and collective flow in teams. You work and accompany organizations and teams in transformation to ultimately shape the future of work. And we are going to also tackle touch on this uh, subject, how does the future of work look like as we enter a new world of work. You are also working on building more inclusive environments through responsible organizations where people can be their best in a world that, as we see, uh, it's becoming more and more complex.
2: Wow, that's yes. perfect. I, I, mean, I, think we so, just, I don't think we could have done a better job of introducing ourselves. I think could, yeah, stop that, capture we'll, that. We'll have Laura uh, follow <laughs> us around and do our introductions for us. Thank you so much.
0: Uh, <laughs> I'm really doing a fantastic job. I read this. I'm very uh, inspired as well. And as we can see, there's really a lot we can tackle in our conversation. And what we propose to do, of course, today is to look at inclusion from our various angles, you know, uh, touching on awareness and transparency, the role of leadership, why language is important, how these lead to transformation and, and the concrete actions uh, that we all can take. Um, and of course, we cannot talk about all this without talking about
1: what hasn't worked so far. Sure, but b- before we dive into these subject, subjects, uh, Imran, Sean, tell us more about your work uh, in inclusion. How did you get here, and uh, why is it important to you?
3: Wow! Well, oh I... Gosh, yeah. Go. Why don't you start? Yeah, okay, me... cool. Um, <laughs> I think I'll start with a little story, um, and I think that gives people an idea of what I've been experiencing. And an, you know, a second-generation child who grew up in Europe and um, in the UK, grew up in London, and everything that's really happened throughout my life, you know, uh, in Europe, um, has been geared around, are we making each other feel a part of something? And um, whether it's community, whether it's an organization, whether it's a team. And this, I think, this, this story just, I think, brings together a lot of what happens. Um, and this is about, you know, if there's gonna be one question to ask you know, him, who, who is the racist in the room? Um, It's not who you think it is very often, and it's not the most obvious person, and it's not the most obvious thing. And it's so easy to always point to the one that does it in a way that is, it screams in your face, because they stand on the street and yell um, horrible words at people. Um, I'm talking about what happens in organisations, and this was a story when I started working for um, a German company. it was in, actually, Hessen at the time, um, and what happened was I started to work there and I was given a book on um, German etiquette, and I was really, 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 really sort of, wow, this is amazing. What, how nice of them to actually think culturally about how I'm going to integrate here, and God, this is really forward-thinking, and being the expat that gets something like that, you think, God, even, you know this is even before you get post-arrival training by Berlitz or some other company like that. And what happened then was um, I started talking to other expats and and I had already started to read the book. And they said, what book? (laughs) What book? And I said, this book. And they all looked at the book and they said, we didn't get that book. And then I said, what do you mean? Then I asked some more expats um, and nobody else had got that book apart from me. Then I started following this up and chasing it and, and trying to work out what had happened. And ultimately what had happened was um, somebody somewhere overcompensated um, based on my name and thought that um, because of my name, I would need unbelievably more help as a European with that sort of background to be able to integrate and, be of, um, and behave like a European should behave, uh, like shake women's hands or um, be able to deal with um, a different form of hierarchy, which is more eye-to-eye. Um, i did the best i did the best next thing i read the book learnt the book by heart and i called them all out on their behaviors and what they were not following in the German book of etiquette um, half of them found it um, were utterly on my side and found it appalling that it was given to me um, and the other half rubbish the book um, and denied the book and said look it's better if you follow it for me there are other people
1: it's a, it's a story that uh, I I also heard with Migration Lab and with the refugees who would receive uh, these kind of uh, materials to uh, fit into the European way of life, so to say.
3: So it's so it. you're being policed before you've even begun.
1: Yes, yes. What about you, Sean?
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm going to take a different role because I've I've been on the other side of it. Obviously, uh, my skin color and my I, I haven't had that kind of blatant discrimination um, towards me in a way, but I've seen it around me and I've seen the implications of that on organizations from a leadership perspective, but also from an innovation perspective and a creativity perspective and a possibility perspective of where are we going with this? What's the point of doing the things that we're doing, and why are we doing these things and and how does diversity and, and various opinions, perspectives, and and cultural nuances around your experience add to the the opportunity and possibility instead of take away from it? And and my my, my learnings and my my work have been predicated and looking at this from you know a human behavioral standpoint, from a business economic standpoint, from a creativity innovation standpoint, and looking at how do we work in a way together that allows us to create something more interesting than fighting each other <laughs> i mean because at the end of the day i'm just really bored of it it's just a really boring game to play and for me the possibility of the creativity element is more interesting yeah to use our differences and use the things that we have from our unique perspectives to build something that needs to be built to to show a way forward in in how it's possible yeah Instead of bickering over things that are really, at the end of the day, quite
3: trivial, in my perspective of it. <laughs> so yeah, but they have, it's very <laughs> really interesting because there is something there is actually the triple part these people see is there is they think there's a risk. It's a fear of power. I think it all comes back to power in some particular ways, yeah, 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 and, yeah, yeah. And,
2: and the perception of power Definitely. and the loss of power and and these <laughs> dynamics that uh, if if you have more than I have less, and it's a really antiquated kind of. Um, old paradigm of thinking I think and, and I think we're moving hopefully beyond that and you're seeing some organizations start to understand that if somebody else has more it doesn't mean that I get less and and how do we create a pie that grows and not one that we divide <laughs> and that's what I'm I'm interested in, 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 in tackling that, that conversation and, and those, those things. And obviously, like you guys said before, we have to look very honestly at the things that don't work first to understand and take a really good look at where are we so that we can understand what are the things that we need to do to move forward. Um, because we've got to deal with those things. They, they don't just go away by, you know, um, giving it a rose-colored tint and then moving on. They'll, they'll still sit there in the subconscious realm until we actually identify them and deal with them. And, you know, from my perspective, a lot of that work has to do with not just the minorities in the room and the people that don't have power, but the people who do have power. Um, And I think that's where more of the responsibility and um, possibilities lie in terms of changing these systems. Um, And that's where, you know, I I think I'll kind of try and wear that hat today (laughs) as we talk.
0: Yeah. And I guess all of us in this room, you know, we have all have our different experiences. And, you know, I come from also from what you can describe as a minority culture, you know, Muslim, Turkish growing up in Brussels. But today I see myself still as a privileged person because of everything I achieved. And I want to use that privilege to really use my experiences of when it didn't work because I had to push harder than others, of course, like any second culture kid growing up in a Western Western culture. But now I'm in a place where actually I have access to so much, which, and now I'm trying to use that privilege. And I have a feeling that you, you guys are also uh, in the same kind of uh, thinking. And Laura as well, you know, Laura, you came from uh, Romania too. You know, we, we all, we've all seen how you, white Europe treats people <laughs> like us. But uh, we, we're now building all these tools um, to, to go beyond, uh, beyond our experiences and beyond what, how they define us, beyond those definitions. And this is what I would like to talk with you about the tools really uh, and and um what tools do you use, really? And but before we get there,
1: maybe uh, as Laura, we should uh, start yeah. with what doesn't work, right? Uh, right, because you mentioned Sean, for example. You are and both of you actually. You are long uh, working on this on this uh, topics since since long time. Um, diversity and inclusion aren't new topics, um, but as the world uh, as the world has recently experienced, it it appears that we are still. Uh, quite far away from, from understanding what's all about um, as, as a society, as a community, uh, even uh, on individual level. And also many organizations don't know what to do or what to, what to say. And uh, I'm, I'm curious, why do you think that is? What hasn't worked so far? Why? Because in some organizations, for example, we have been having this diversity and inclusion programs and so on, um, but it seems it didn't work since, since we are still facing this challenging, we are still uh, talking about this.
3: Well, I think you already mentioned one, haven't you? I mean, something me and Sean and myself always look at is is there a, um, a box ticking um, behavior and an optimism in, in the organization that we've ticked this box because there is a rule or a law or a EU directive that heads towards that? if that's dealt with, um, then there are organisations which are a bit more mature and realise they want to go beyond that and then they start thinking well the way to deal with this is through learning, um, is through training and then they analyse this um, in, from a, a very theoretical educational point of view and they come out with things like um, bias training, you know. All humans have biases and then if you become more aware And you can reflect on your biases, you are cured of it. You're done. Yeah. And then you're, um, and like always, these sessions take place outside of the normal place where you work. So um, that means, first of all, training in itself has an issue because it's not integrated into the way we work. If it was more trial and error and integrated into our daily practices, maybe just providing knowledge that creates reflection and thinking. Um, as well as maybe some form of transparency, if there is a bias, it might work, but even when we've done that, it hasn't worked. Um, The example I always use there is the UK, which in the last 18 to 20 years has surfaced all wages between men and women in companies over 200 people. We legally are obliged to, um, to provide that to the public. Um, has the gender pay difference changed in the UK in the last 20 years? We have transparency, we have awareness, and we have it as a topic and we reflect on it. It has not moved anything. It's still the same. The difference has not changed, not even by 0.5%. That is the issue. That's why it's not working. This is a belief that once you hit reflection, once you hit transparency, once you make people away, um, that's enough.
1: Done. So we need actions. We need to move beyond the reflection.
3: But yeah, but well, that's it. That's the question I'm bringing to the table here today. Right? Sean's coming from the point of view of power um, and, yeah. and, you know, from the opportunity and access is provided to, a, to the, the group that has that. Um, versus I'm coming from the point of view of, well, look, um, all the stuff we try is not working leadership programs have not worked, they have underpinned pathological, narcissistic behaviours in our leaders. Um, It's pushed everything, diagnostic, personality diagnostics have pushed. Um, I can't help myself, I'm just a red person, I am a dominant person, therefore I'm allowed to behave like an asshole and hurt other people on the way, um, because I have no other option, because this diagnostic tool taught me to behave like this. Or, Underpinned that island like that. So these are the things. Yeah, they self reinforce each other. The, yeah, the perpetuate. And, and,
2: and the, yeah, exactly. And the question, you know, is you know, what is the, you know, how do we get beyond these these elements and look at the humanity, the shared humanity between us, and 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 say, okay, you're a human and I'm a human, and we're here then to do something together. And what does that look like? And I, I think going back to this, you know, the the, the power thing. Um, you're always going to have power dynamics in particular in particular structures of when humans organize. Yeah, um, they naturally form in particular ways, and, and you, they're always there. and And I think it's you know I think that's why at Kukoro, we we really started to underpin these three really critical elements to look at um, in terms of how do we build structures around these things so we can constantly be in this experimentation, this evolution, this learning pattern of hey, we're not going to get it right. You know, we, we have these biases. We have these learned conditions. We have these we're, – we're imperfect beings, yeah? And we're going to make mistakes along the way. But however, if we can hold each other accountable, if we can have conversations, if we can make this a more open, transparent topic that we can get to the root of these things, then we can maybe start to put pieces in place to move them. You know, if you want to close the pay gap, it's a really simple solution. Just pay women more. (laughs) I mean, it's not rocket science here, right? So we're not talking about, you know, things that are really difficult to do. You just need to have people with the money pay people who don't have the money the same amount or value what they're bringing to the table the same, right? Or understand that. We, we we have a discrepancy here, and we have to do something about it. Yeah, and 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 then you do something about it, and then you learn. Or we, can, or
3: we could open up another committee,
2: or let's or let's have a committee and do a <laughs> survey, and then you know ask. It's just like no, if you want more diversity in your work, just hire more people that don't look like you, that don't think like you, you know, and get a different perspective. And that's it. It's super simple, you know. But we we have a really complex way to to go about solving these really complex things, but. The, the the solutions don't need to be complex. They just need to be really simple. Like hire more people of diversity. <laughs> you know, hire more women. Pay them the same. Yeah, and I've got the same thing. Like,
3: you know, like <laughs> it's not it's not hard. <laughs> transparency, reflection, and, um, and and raising awareness. These three things. What are you doing ultimately? You're fixing the people. You're fix, You're trying to fix an um, an, an issue that's happening um, through fixing individuals. And we're saying uh, like Ricardo, like you said, mentioned, these dimensions fix. Try to get the environment into the place so these simple solutions can just happen. Yeah. Um, and a simple example I always try to use is, um, is like I know I know that this is uh, like an airplane is a, a machine. Um, a very I mean it's a machine that works most of the time, um, and on very few occasions it doesn't, and it's tragic when it doesn't. But the, the thing I find interesting in the cockpit there is, um, I mean, apart from the fact that you know there are more males in the cockpit, that's another discussion to have. But the interesting thing I do find in the cockpit is um, that when they leave the gate and go to take off, there are 40 actions that need to happen each time. And there is no difference on whether you've got 10,000 hours of flying experience or 1,200. These 40 things are done through a structure. Um, And the environment in the cockpit uh, uh, means that everybody has to do that. If you sit in the cockpit, it doesn't matter how much experience you bring, it doesn't matter how much knowledge you have, how much status you have, Um, you do these 40 things because the safety of 300 people behind you is more important um, and you have to go through it. So the captain as well as the co-pilot will go through these 40 things in the checklist to say, have we done this and have we done this correctly? Now that is another use of checklist which I don't think we do.
2: Um,
3: A checklist is not, it's actually for things that we need to do continuously because those are the things we forget. And that's not come back to humanity, doesn't it? Yeah. It's the main human piece. It's like, are we listening to each other? Yeah. Exactly. Are we
2: creating space for other people to speak? Are we, you know, are we having these? Are we having conversations where everybody feels that they're heard, that they're that they're a part of the thing that we're building together? And, and that's the environment, again, isn't it? Yeah. And we're 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 looking at how do we build these structures, these checklists, these these elements that help to reinforce an environment yeah. that. Allow people to feel safe and and be able to allow people to feel like they belong, or call people out
3: who are not creating that kind of environment. <laughs> On the flip side of that, and right? let's take this further than that. You know the forty actions you keep ticking. One one team um, of pilots in a cockpit do forty actions each time they fly. Millions of flights later, you have it done through thousands of moments of checking, and those thousands of moments of checking lead to. More
0: yeah. Everything you said speaks to, so much to me right now. Because you talk about hiring, of course, uh, we, we could hire, it's, it's easy, right? You say it's easy, we can hire a more diverse workforce, we can uh, pay women more, but it's not happening. So it really means that these power dynamics don't allow this to happen. But what, what I see, I come from the cultural sector, Okay, so culture, literature, uh, arts and they do try to tick these boxes all the time. And they, 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 they think they're doing their best, but they're not. Again, same as what you just uh, mentioned uh, earlier. So even when they hire, the hiring process is already problematic because, and I, I would love to have your, your opinion on this. So I just saw a tweet uh, yesterday about a board, uh, board of advisors and commi- uh, in, in different cultural sectors. And they always have open calls, okay? So you have to apply. So they ask people to make the effort to apply. But already there, if you come from certain communities even, you wouldn't even think you are, you have a place there because there's nothing in the history of those organizations that ever said you have a safe space here to be part of. You can have your voice heard here. So it took me, for instance, years to think that I could work in... Uh, prestigious uh, so-called prestigious uh, cultural institutions because I never grew up in a culture that said you are allowed to be there, you are allowed to have a voice there. So how how should this kind of organization work to go get to these people, to find the, the, the diverse people in diverse communities and not just put on an open call and say, here, we hire diversity, but how, how can you make sure that these people are going to apply? So isn't the effort... Doesn't the effort need to be made by the people who want to to hire? And then after that, that's about accessibility as well. And then how do we make sure we create safe environments for people to actually be happy to be there, to 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 have their voice heard, but not be afraid because you also know it takes a lot of effort for people who haven't been heard all their lives to come to around the table. And try to say, you know, give their opinion or, or share their expertise because they will be silenced again. And it still happens to me. I'm 41 years old. It still happens to me when I'm surrounded uh, by white people on a table talking about literature and culture. So how do we make sure that we do? Is it about policies? It is about stricter rules. Is it again about ticking boxes? But how do we make sure it works
3: I, I, I mean, I've got a lot of opinions about that, you know, Sean, how would you, yeah. you start off? Well, the thing is, I mean, um, policy is the way to go. We know that. We know that policy is really, really important to, be able to question it. But I think you need to have more um, people who understand what historical justice is in there. You need to understand um, um, people who really understand social processes and how dynamics change. Um, so that, without a doubt, policy, that's where racism um, was created, which is the base of ignorance that's created sexism and all the isms and ableisms that we have issues with. Um, but putting that to the side, because that is once again getting back into the theory and something more hands-on. Um, I don't know, um, I think sometimes it's the... Ar- I'm going to be provocative now. The arrogance of the art world, of not being able to look at football and the sports, of how they go into the, the communities to find talent. Why couldn't you go and learn with them? Why couldn't you go and see why has um, why have, um, you know, the women and the men um, that, that do sports, you come from high-level sports as well, sure, um, baseball, where they go to the, these communities and they know that there is talent and they are not hit by, I can't see myself there, I mean, what are these people are going to show us? but they go out and they look and they create spaces for people to come and play and join in teams, coach, um, help people through not only family problems, but to get better at sports. And out of that, they see talent and then they hire. And I know there's a lot of science behind it and in the meantime. There is a lot of science behind it. That's 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 one one area that we're too... There's one area that's become so full of itself that it's not able to learn from making the world a classroom. So going somewhere else and seeing how it works. Um, then also... Uh, it's not being able to create spaces, I mean, it's always driven, you know, that when you look at architecture in the city, the minute you um, look at how much space cars take up in the roads, um, if you then start creating spaces where people can meet and talk, and then the newspapers also deliver news of all the communities of the city, and then people start talking on the benches about, well, look, I, look I, oh, you're from the Ethiopian community, look, I read in, in our local newspaper about this in your community. Um, but we don't look at newspapers as a way of being able to report on all ethnic communities, and I find that is another way you could go. And um, these are just, like, small little examples of learning from other people and seeing how other people are doing, but also creating, um, what you said, opportunities and access um, that create conversation. So being able to trigger conversation through structural change. And we don't do that, do we? We are continuously serving either um, um, cars to ensure people can get from one place to another because they can live their lives, get the kids to school or live their families, get to work. But we don't think, well, hang on, maybe it will be more beneficial for a very multicultural city to take the cars away from the city, create spaces where people meet and suddenly, you could deal with a lot more issues because people sit down and start talking to each other.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm gonna take this from a, from a perspective of looking at, um, um, you, brought, you brought up a lot of good points. And, and I think that there's one thing that really stuck out to me here is this, I think what we're not addressing though in this, in the, in this conversation is the ism of nepotism and, and this I'm, I'm, I'm doing it because I'm gonna scratch your back and then later you're gonna do something for me. And not, not necessarily who's the best human that we need to put along our side to do something interesting together. And um, this self-serving kind of behavior, I think, gets into a really dangerous place really fast. And you get a lot of mediocrity that way. I think that's where we get stuck in, in these loops of mediocrity. And, and this, this is good enough. Uh, it's like, yeah, that's okay. But what, what, it could be better. You know, it could be more interesting. It could be more fulfilling. It could be more inclusive. It could be more, we we could, we could, we could provide more opportunity and access to more people actually, if we did it a different way. And that's the conversation that we're not having because it's still very, all these self reinforcing and self-serving structures that we have from, from a socio-political and a, and a socio-economic standpoint, um, they're just ingrained, like you said, from a from a policy standpoint, and we're not
3: tackling those things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would make like if you are in a situation, if you want like to walk away today and say, "Can I start today?" Then walk into any situation, and if you see these two things happening, then um, speak up and point it out to people. And the two things I always point out is othering with people when somebody's being othered. like you said? that you suddenly realise people are being exclusive by othering, you know, oh, they're different, but they're not my problem. Or if they're doing, well, I mean, we're going to use a colleague we have, Tiffany, who talks about it. Um, Sameness making. Trying to make somebody the same as somebody else. That you can only be part of me, Sean, if you become like me. I'm the EU, and you're America. Not until America becomes a bit like me, (laughs) will you you be able to come and join our economic (laughs) community? And we're thinking, no, hang on. in fact, both the U.S. and Europe have a, a responsible role in knowing that, that we are a superpower. Yeah. And when we go to other countries and we want to grow yeah. the way our democracy works, and we do have good parts to it, yeah. um, then it is is our job to listen, not yeah. listen to fix, but listen to understand and listen. And we Just don't do that. Listen to learn. In, listen, listen to learn. Listen to grow together. And if we did that, yeah. But we don't. we coming already. Well, so this is this is we're cult- fix you.
2: Yeah, yeah. This is cultural fit, right?
3: Yeah. And this is yeah, yeah, this is, this is the, the idea mind. of
2: cultural fit in organizations. Oh, you have to be a cultural fit. Well, <laughs> what? Do, I wanna, do I want to? Do I want to be a cultural fit here? You no. know, because I don't think that probably Imran and I are probably we, we, we're, we'd be difficult to find a place that would culturally fit us. And that's probably why we created our own company together. Because yeah. <laughs> there's like. Yeah, I don't know if we'd fit <laughs> very well <laughs> here <laughs> or anywhere, to be honest. No,
3: so, no, it's, it's, isn't it is, isn't it? It's then, that idea we're of talking now, fit. like to a group of people, and and we did um, um, a session last week called "Disturbed to Evolve," um, and it was around like you know what, how do you create this point of view? What we're talking about today, and and there was one person from Cisco, your old company where you used to work from, who oh. said. Well, for her, it's become more of cultural ad. And coming back to what Mm -hmm. you said as well, and you work with words, don't you? So you're a whole semantic person. So how about just ending cultural fit and calling it our our structures serving cultural ad?
0: Totally. I mean, language has a huge role here, but I really like also, you know, the cultural fit example. Also, it's exactly how our societies work, what they did to you with the etiquette book. It's exactly that. You know, they try to make you fit into the society in a certain way. And we keep on going with this mentality in business, in arts, in culture, everywhere. And this is what we need uh, to break.
3: Yeah. And I've got actually another thing for the, like, um, well, Germany could... I mean, look, this is one example that's stopped me. Like, you know that Germany invested a lot of money in East Germany. And there's a big difference between whether you come from East and the West. And now it's been 30 years of integration. Hasn't it? Yeah. 30 years of integration. The same people. The same people. <laughs> Um, And the interesting thing is, you know, I always get back, I get into conversations that people are speaking about, but if you learn the language, you can integrate. And I go, well, Germany did a great job in integrating the East and the West. And I actually accompanied the gold bullion um, lead and head at the Bundesbank in this period, when he showed me how much money they had invested in East Germany. And if I'm not wrong, both sides, I think East Germany also spoke German. Um, They might have had a different accent. I don't know if the accent got in the way. Um, and I know I'm being maybe in some point, I mean, I'm being ironic in my accent here, but ultimately it shows you that there's something beyond language. Language might be just 0.56 on the list of priority mm-hmm. because it speeds up the communication. It can make things more efficient, maybe more mm-hmm. effective sometimes, but it mm-hmm. doesn't create any sense of belonging. Access and opportunity. no access Once again, that had to do with the word of access and opportunity. So language does not Language is
0: not the way to go. And it can work both. One of the things about language that always, uh, that shocks me always is you see all these, for instance, for Germany, Turkish is a very important language with all the, the huge Turkish community that, is, that has been there for 60 years now. And I'm always shocked, like they want always the immigrants to learn the language, but they never question, like, how about we learn the languages of these big communities living with us? It's like I go to Marseille and people who don't understand Arabic, I'm shocked. You know, If I would live in Marseille, I would learn Arabic because there are huge communities of Arabic speakers. So they never think that way. People always think you come here, you have to learn how things are done here. But they never think how about i learn about you and your language and this is a it's the same with the businesses and the culture fit idea you know we
1: and it's also about the fact that um integration is uh, regarded as a one-way street so to say and it should be a two-way
2: uh it's a conversation
1: conversation and is the reason one of the reasons that I started Migration Lab as well and why uh, at the time it's interesting and still is nowadays. It it was thought innovative because I included all the communities, also locals, in these conversations, which I think it's important. is two two ways where we spoke, we touched, of course, on on the topics of language as well. This is this is a, a topic very dear to Janan and I because we, um, I even wrote poems on on the relationship we have with languages. We we write, we um, talk about this publicly because language is not just. A about um, learning some words it's way much more than than that uh, right and it's 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 so much more than that we have been in need of a transformation since long time ago and even more so and this transformation for me and we touched on this in our latest uh, last episode on process it starts with myself first of all it's um it's uh my personal development uh educating myself about these issues trying to understand trying to work with myself um, and see um where do i have biases what what the bias mean why what where are my prejudices these these are all things that uh, yeah i i tackled with migration lab but um In this this intent, uh, or the intent that I had, um, that when we meet to each other, we go back to language. What do we say to each other? How do we talk to each other? Whether we are in an organization, in in public space, uh, wherever we are, as a human being, when you, you meet, what do you what do you say? to, to, to the other human being who stands in front of you, how do, do do you, how do you include that person? Um, how do you accept that person? And if you don't accept it, ask yourself, why is it because, uh, the status of that person? Is it uh, because of its humanity? It's, it's, it's because of what it's worth as human being or what it's worth as, I don't know, the status, uh, the organization where it works, the money it has, and and so on. So um, there is something, Sean, that I really um, liked. You published an an article uh, on LinkedIn recently. You touched on on this. You you were talking about the future of of, uh, work. And you said, uh, I'm quoting you here, work will become a place for self-inquiry, experimentation, play, and personal development. At the end of the day, what a company produces will be a direct reflection of the quality of the internal collective energy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if
2: you're going to have othering and divisiveness within your organization, then your products and services are going to probably be a reflection of that energy that you're creating internally. It's this othering thing that we're talking about. It's me versus them. It goes back to language And, and what precedes language, in my opinion, is my presence, right? My, my, my somatic being, how am I showing up in just being in the room? Because that will proceed anything that comes out of my mouth, yeah? If I have uh, energy that is closed off, that is fearful, that is uh, not curious or interested in other, then that will proceed energetically anything that comes out of my mouth and also undertone anything that comes out of my mouth, right? So where am I? In alignment with myself, like you said, these these reflection, these reflective, where is my energy at currently with myself? Do I appreciate myself? Am I in a place to be able to share and be open with others in the room at the at the moment in time? And then anything that comes out of my mouth will be a reflection of the state of being that I'm in. Yeah, and this idea of being and doing are so interconnected. Yeah. What I am and how I am being will be a reflection of what comes out of my mouth, how I say it. And the actions that will pull, pull me, yeah, I'll, I'll be pulled by particular actions. So um, the more in alignment that I am with myself, um, the, the better I can show up for others, right, in, in some particular ways. And so this, this piece of having an organization or an environment that allows for individuals to be in alignment with themselves, yeah, whoever they are in their fullest essence, right, whether they're uh, it doesn't matter to me yeah um, what you are it's the contribution that you're bringing to the table that allows us to collectively go to where it is that we want to go in a fun way yeah in an opportunity kind of way in a
3: creative kind of way okay so let's, I, like, I see so that's that so now what happens you go out into the you're in that environment and say in this environment you meet now somebody who believes all the foreigners need to leave Yeah, what does this help you do? If you are in alignment with yourself it started with you, what are you able to do? Do you then other this person because of their view? Because they believe all foreigners need to leave the country? What do you do at that point? That's the question I have then. Because that's great, that's fantastic. You have not interacted with the world yet.
2: Yeah, exactly. And then when you get out there and interact with the world in this particular way, the, the question is how are you putting aside, in a way, it's it's the curiosity and understanding and the questioning of that individual for them to see their own reflection in a way that's honest for them. Yeah. So I can be more clear without bringing my fear and, 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 and upsetness about that point of view um, and saying, okay, well, how do I let this and allow this individual to see a clearer reflection of themselves through me without, without. Yeah, there's a judgment. We're going to want to judge that perspective in a particular way. Yeah. We're going to want to make them wrong. And in doing that, we're going to move the conversation nowhere. No, that's it. That's it. And we're going to, we're going to move the conversation nowhere. And actually what we'll do is we'll create more polarization. Yeah. We'll make that person feel more entrenched in their point of view about the foreigner and we'll be more entrenched about our view about this person needs to change. Yeah. So you just create more polarization in that particular instance, right? And so how do I meet that individual? Yeah, I don't need to agree with them particularly. Yeah, I don't need to have the same point of view as them, but I can maybe see that their experience, their cultural upbringing, their dynamic, their their set of life experiences led them to that point of view. My particular set of life experiences led me to this point of view. And if we had switched roles, maybe we would have the same points of view. I don't know. Yeah and, and, and I, then I, that I, is and then now where's the shared humanity that we can say okay I'm I can be compassionate I don't need to agree with you but I can respect and be compassionate with you as a human being and listen to your point of view if you're willing to do the same for me and if not then we need to put a boundary down yeah we just need to say okay look this isn't this isn't going to work here <laughs> or but do it in a respectful way we can still be
3: compassionate we can still still be open and understanding to that um and I think that's it. That that is for me then why don't we then spend time with people rather than do bias training? Yeah, if you want to do training, if you have got if you have to hit that box as LND, HR, and say, But I've got to do something, then do a session on how to hold space yep. and hold ground. Yeah. Then that's what you I'm banging the table now, sorry. You can't cut the phone out, sorry. So you can see that's like in Spain, that's right. more interesting, right? Discourse. How do we build an environment where
2: we can actually have discourse? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Because what we do now is we build environments that are building more polarity and yeah. not having discourse. My, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I that just creates mean. more polarity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we don't get to uh, what's more interesting here. Where, where's the opportunity here? Where's the possibility of us bringing these things together and saying, okay, it's a two-way street. It's not a one-way street. Okay, what does that two-way street look like? What are some experiments and things that we can do? On this two-way street to allow us to come to a more interesting
3: um, place to, to 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 be with one another. Yeah, exactly. So, like, like I've always thought about the Turkish community in Germany, Kenan, because I spent eleven years there working for German organizations and traveling the world and working with German teams and and you know building technical products and um, across the world. And and one of the things that always got me was um, that they never ever. Like you know, one of the things I really like in the German Gesetzbuch, the book of law they've got, are the nineteen uh, Grundgesetz, the, the foundational laws that make the country, and they're very beautiful if you read them, and um, you don't need um, intermediate German is enough to read them and understand them. Um, and and I never understood um, why they didn't make more of a play out of that. Why didn't they like translate this into all um, the languages that do exist? Whether it was Italian, whether it was Turkish, whether it was Serbian, um, all the people that you know, Russian, the, I mean, the people from from Russia that came to Germany, and why didn't we see those come up in the communities in a playful way? Whether it was done through statues, or whether it was done through there was, there could have been a more beautiful way of actually getting people. Just imagine a, a colourful poster of, of German law next to um, a kebab in this, and, and people saying, "What is that?" and talking in Turkish about it or in a different language um, and start realizing, oh, hang on, is that the law of the country? But you do it in such a way that it becomes playful. And it's coming back to, we as governments can create space. And this space can then hold tension through a playful way of showing this is who we are. This is where you are. Find out where you are. And that then gives the invitation to all the small communities to say, look, we're allowed to form a new identity here. I might be Turkish, but I might also be German. But hang on, I'm neither. But maybe I am a But hang on, if that means I'm a what does that mean for me?
0: Exactly. Uh, And I like that you talk about play because uh, I have a question for both of you, actually. So play requires that we have our emotions shown, right, in a way. But do you think we are, we, whether organization or as a society, are afraid of showcasing our emotions publicly? And is it maybe one of the major issues that we don't bring emotion into trying to solve all these issues or into the workplace? What is the place of emotion? Because for play to happen, you also need to, have, to be able to express emotions.
3: You know, I, I don't know where that comes from, but I, I struggle to understand it because um, I think nature in 300 million years um, worked out that the only way to navigate complexity is through a machine. It made us into beautiful learning machines. So I, I, I just every emotion is a construction of the context, and um, you are not rational before you are emotional. You are emotional, and then you rationalize the emotion. So, um, whoever said that is broken. So yeah, then, our societies are broken. If that is the case, if you, if I, agree, if, if you are saying that is what the case is in society, then we are broken. What's the um, It's the it's the unvaluing or the uh, the the the. The belittling.
2: the belittling of the unseen is really at the end of the day, right? We have these unseen connections. We have these unseen mm-hmm. energies. We have these unseen emotions and feelings that we're, we're um, carrying with us all day long, but we're asked to continually to suppress and and not allow these things to, to be in the room or in the space because we don't have the ability to hold it. You know, we don't have the tools to hold it. We don't have the capacity to to understand How to allow those to be without reacting to them in some particular ways, right? So for me, play, the foundation for play, you have to have safety, right? You have to have people feel a sense that they can express themselves without fear of consequence. I need to be able to experiment. I need to be able to take risks. I need to be able to try things and fuck up. Yeah. (laughs) And not make me feel like I'm stupid. Yeah. Because when we're dealing, like Imran said, in these states of complexity, in these states where we're at right now with organizations and COVID and a lot of uncertainty from a socioeconomic standpoint, from a technological standpoint, from a what the hell is going to happen next standpoint, we need to have not just one individual's emotions at the table sensing. We need to have a diverse group of people at the table who are all sensing at the same time. And we need to be able to synthesize those together to say, what's the best thing to move forward collectively. Yeah. Not just Imran, not just me, not just any, anyone other. And and this is where the role of diversity for me comes into play in such a, in, in such a really more tangible, poignant way is how many perspectives do we have at the table to be able to see this thing more clearly. Yeah. And that's the opportunity for me because I don't see the same things that Imran sees. And our other um, people that we work with see different things than what I see. And I need that perspective to be able to get a more clear view of what the reality is so that we can take a more accurate step forward together. Not me individually. It's irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah, we use that in
3: our coaching, don't we? we when we work with it's teams... It's totally one of the irrelevant. Thing, what our goal in the, to surface data, to get the data to work with, what we're trying to get the team to is to answer the question, this is the question we get them to answer. It's, um, what are you thinking but not saying? Yeah. Because that is the data that's gonna help yeah. us. Yeah, it's, that's it's the, the most... thing
2: that needs to come out so that we have a clearer <laughs> representation of, if I look at, if I hire you, and I, and I believe that what, <laughs> for, if, if I don't trust you to have your opinion, then I shouldn't have hired you in the first place. Now, if I hired you, uh, and I, then, I, then there is some understanding that okay, you you have some competency, and there's some value here that we can um, we can gain from um, being in this relationship together. Now, now I need to give them that opportunity, that platform to be able to express that stuff, yeah. And how do I allow that all to be, like you said, that tension all to be there, even if I don't agree with it? I don't need to agree with it, yeah. The question is, how do I get it in a place where we can? Uh, synthesize it so you feel that that expression's been heard, even if um, we may or may not agree with it, but it's heard, it's understood, and we've incorporated that in, and collectively we've decided to do something else, and that's okay too. And if you want to be a part of it, you still can, and here we go. (laughs) You know, this is the disagree and commit kind of thing, yeah? And at one point we need to get to that point, because we can't get 100% consensus Consensus. sometimes, because it's too slow. In in some instances, yeah, we need to move much faster and and it doesn't always work, but then that means that I need to pull back and support where the collective wants to go, what wants to emerge through the collective. And that might mean relinquishing some things on my side or stepping back or deferring or saying, okay, yeah, that's good. Let's move. I'm, I'm supporting this. And I don't have to agree, but let's go that way because that's where we need to go.
1: Thank you for saying this, Sean. Uh, I have a question here. I know most of people know me from Migration Lab, but I've been working uh, since many years in PR and marketing and been working in different kind of structures, more or less hierarchical. My question here is, how do we do everything you just talked in a very hierarchical setup in which leadership... Um, is surviving on the emotion of fear how do we how do we i I don't even know how to ask this question what do we do with these these leaders where do we start the transformation here
2: we we deal with them a lot i I think imram and i are constantly faced with the same challenge you know um it's not an e- it's not always an easy solution, and I think it takes it takes a group uh, of people to stand for something more interesting than what that one person's individual agenda is. And again, it's going back to this: what do we all collectively show up for on a daily basis, and do we stand for that? And do our actions and how we show up reinforce that? Yeah. yeah. Because if I can stand for that, if I have something that we're worth—that's worth standing for—then I'll stand for it regardless of the circumstances. Yeah, and I'll—and if that means leaving and walking away from this job, then that's what that means. Yeah, and how seriously are you committed to that vision or that goal or that collective thing that you set out to do together? That for me is. If I don't have that within a team, within an organization, within a... I don't do anything. I won't move. And I'll do that with my teams. I said, guys, if you don't understand clearly why you're showing up here and what you're doing together, there's nothing to do. There's nothing to do because you need that thing to stand for because I need to hold people accountable. Why are we doing that? Does that help us do the thing that we set out to do? And if it doesn't, then I go. Or we do it. Yeah? And if I don't have the thing then what happens is if if they start playing other games politically for their own self-interest, it'll be so blatantly obvious to everybody else that they'll look stupid. Mm -hmm. And then I just don't – I just go, okay, are we about this or are we about this? We need to decide here. And then now let's be honest and transparent. If we're about your individual bank account and your personal agenda, then we stand for that and everybody knows that's what we're doing. Okay. And then whoever wants to stay can stay. And if we want to stand for this, then we stand for this, right? right. We can't do, we we have to, we have to be able to have those conversations and, and and be able to hold each other accountable in those ways. So that way the higher you're going to have hierarchy anyways. Yeah. And the question is, you know, you're, you're managing up a lot of the times as you're managing down, but I think you have to have a lot of courage to stand in that space and hold that space and be able to, to stand for that together and stand for what it is that, that, the collective is looking to do yeah not for for one person
1: for me this sounds uh, purpose and integrity integrity as a person as a professional what you stand for and uh go until the end of the world for what you stand for
0: i, I would like to challenge a bit here because I, I i am totally an idealist when it comes to all this as well i'm totally with you on in here but i'm thinking aren't we also talking again from a Privileged position where we can actually say, be at the table and say, "I don't agree with you, and I don't care if I lose this job because I know I'm going to find another job. I know I'm a hard worker." What happens if you're a person who doesn't have that luxury, really, to 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 step out and say, "I will not follow your lead because I don't think it is right"? Or so, how, isn't the role of the organizations to actually create those spaces where people are allowed? to raise their voice like this. So isn't the problem, again, on the policy level?
3: Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, yeah. it is. Oh, I, yes, I, I, of I, course. I, I, saw, I, I saw two situations there now. I saw <laughs> you in a workshop <laughs> dealing with a situation in a session where you're yeah. moving a movement and transformation of a team. Um, and I thought your question was just directed generally at, um, well, look, this is what I've been faced with as a personal experience um, going through organizations, and I see this not changing, and what will move this? And I think there are two different things going on here. There is the when we work with people in a room, and we have to make things very, very clear. Everything, nothing is right or wrong. We all say in the end of the day, nothing's right or wrong. If we decide to serve one person, and he or she is the king or queen, then let's agree to it and let's serve that person. If the other side is that we're going to move collectively in the most diverse way possible with inclusive structures, um, working out what work needs to be done, what roles will serve that work, and finding the people with the talent to be able to get that done, if you're going to work that way, then that's great. If we want to work the other way around, where we serve the people and we give them a special role because they are father figures and mother figures, and then we think about how we get the work done based on their on this role, then that's fine as well. We're not saying it's right or wrong. We're saying, we'll just make a decision and, and go with it. Um, then coming back to your question about, well, what is it? What is it that will move policy? What will be? That's the question we're asking with Kokoro. What will get organisations to start thinking? Um, look, we need to move a structure, we need to change the way we do bonus systems, we need to do, like you always say, like, culture ultimately is about decision making, how do we change the structures, so people make decisions in a different way, um, and there, you have to look at policy, again. and what we do at Kokoro is, we realise that the data organisations have always collected is faulty, it's blaming data, it's formative, no it's not formative data, it's summative data, it always validates the past, and it's always top down. It's they they the data you feed, you do your questionnaire, it disappears to the top leaders. And they decide it's question twenty-six that's the problem, and try to fix it with a top-down solution. Mm-hmm. And what Kokoro does is we're saying, well, look, hang I mean, on, we need to have more data coming in from the bottom that shows where we're what environments we're creating, what sort of experience we're creating for our people. We have to start creating so much data that the people at the top feel pressured and realising, look, we're not creating the environment. But they should also have an data to help them create something downwards, if it is hierarchical. And that's what we do with Coral. We, we get the conversations going so they can start saying, well, hang on, this is not all working. And if you get the data coming in, in such a way that people can start having a learning conversation, a conversation around well, what needs to be done to anticipate the future, then we have a more fruitful way of moving forward. Now there's another thing that's broken with data, and this is coming back to what you said um, um, about like how do I deal with this? Well, very often um, leaders in hierarchical positions work by benchmarking. They benchmark your performance against some external benchmark,
2: Mm
3: -hmm. and that's called social comparison. Social comparison will always break people. If I say to my children, like Sean says to his children, "Look, Sam." Look, daughter, why can't you be like the child of our neighbor? She or he is much better than you. And look at the prime example of how they treat their parents. If Sean and me did that to our kids every day, what would our kids turn into? They'd be pissed off at us. <laughs> 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 and they'll supposedly be broken as well. Yeah, okay. They will be, be exactly. So what is the thing that we need to start doing? Our leaders, if there's something you just you have to start doing, is, is allow people to lie to themselves. If a leader lies to himself, then that is a better thing to do, but you have to keep showing that person data to show them. At one point, they will wake up. So it's it's yeah. what, it's temporal data.
2: Yeah. And well, John, I wanna I wanna talk about this position of privilege, and and I think that I think you're spot on with that, right? I mean, and, and this is where it goes back to: people who have the power have more responsibility to stand up yeah. for others who don't have the power. And yeah. and when you're looking at hierarchical organizations. It's if if the collective is feeling that something wants to emerge and there's somebody that's going against that, that needs to be called out in a particular way, whoever has the most power in that collective is the one that needs to call out that person. And it's usually the white male individual who needs to call out another white male individual. And I'm talking a mindset, not skin color yeah it's a colonial mindset <laughs> it's I have power over this group and it's that person's responsibility and I'll give you a very specific example when I first moved here I started another company with another um, with five other Austrians I was the only non-Austrian in this group um, probably the youngest one as well too there's one other woman in the group um, and the guy whose idea it was who started this thing thought he had power over everybody else. And um, I said, no, you don't. (laughs) And I kept calling him out and I kept calling him out. I kept calling him out to a point where I said, I'm not doing that until we are collectively understanding what it is that we're doing, why we're doing it and where we're going next and how you fit into this. And we're working on this together. And I'm not moving anywhere to a point where I just, we we had to end it in, in a particular way. And I don't think that he's ever probably been called out that way. And I was willing to bring down the whole thing until we were at a point where we collectively understood what we were doing and why and how, and, and that everybody was aligned and we were moving together on it. And, and I was, I said, no, I'm not taking that money from that investor, which is, was a substantial sum of money until this gets figured out, brought in a coach, brought in other people, tried to work, didn't work. I said, okay, it's not going to work. Done. Game over. I stopped getting a salary. I haven't gotten paid. You know, it's like I had other, I had risks on the line. I didn't have other opportunities. I'm also an immigrant in this country. So I, but I had, I had, in my mind, I had the the responsibility to stand up for what others were saying, were thinking, but not saying because they were telling me. And now it was my responsibility then to stand for what the collective was actually trying to express, but not expressing or not feeling that they were able to express it. And I just didn't give a shit (laughs) because, I knew that it eventually it would break, yeah, if it wasn't addressed that at that point in time. So it's the responsibility of the person who has the most perceived power or privilege or responsibility in the room that can stand against those hierarchical structures. Yeah. Not the minority. The minority has no it's not gonna it's not gonna move.
3: Yeah, yeah it's not And that's what the science in Gokoro shows that the leadership have to build the Bahmung structures. Yeah, it's the it's leadership. It's the top job. down. It's a top down. What comes top, top down? down, other down. And that comes back to your point that it's the leadership's position and job to create those spaces.
1: But how ready are leaders to do that? Are they today? Uh, how, how, how do you see that? Because you work with so many organizations. What is your you are taking the pulse every day?
3: Well, yeah, I mean, I work. I got a lot of coaches. I'm company at the moment, and I find very often um, my view is biased because I'm very often in coaching situations and with leaders who now are up to board level um, and they know that they need this and are open to it. So they, so it's always like everybody I'm, you know, I do occasionally get um, a leader um, once in a while where the board level has says, if you don't work with Imran, um, you're gone because the board want them to move that direction. I think there is more and more happening, I think it's still very fragmented. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the place to start there is to remove all leadership programs because they have felt us miserable. (laughs) (laughs) It really stopped them. um, When organisations come to us and ask for leadership programs and say, seriously, you think it still works? Do you you believe leadership programs are really working for you? I will ask all L&D people who are listening to this, really? Do you really want to continue with your leadership trainings? Because the last 30 years of it has not worked. And I will put my hand first. I've created loads of these programs across the world, across the globe. And I have failed miserably. So what is it that we need? And one of the things I got really inspired by was by NASA's work after um, we lost these seven beautiful astronauts. Is it the Challenger? The Challenger. Was it the Challenger that blew up? Um, is they don't do that anymore. They do what they, they work on, um, they work with their leaders on speaking up, which comes back to what Sean said before about playing, creating safe environments. That's what they work on, doing programmes around speaking up. If you look at speaking up, what do you look at? You look at risk. What is risk? Risk is probability and consequence. You always need data to work out, well, what consequence will this conversation have on me and my environment? And that's what they work on. Ever since then, because the reason why those we lost those beautiful people yeah. was because somebody could not say no or speak oh. up in front of people with power. Yeah. And that power was based on very experienced engineers. Yeah. Yeah. When you have an experienced engineer before you, you then suddenly associate.
0: But it's a. F- fantastic way, I think, to to go towards the end of our conversation, because we've been speaking for an hour, 10 minutes now, which is uh, fantastic. And we could go on. I think we could go on for hours about this topic. But um, what the things I have noted, which I I think are very important. So speak up and play. I I find that really one very fantastic summary. But also inclusion is a conversation. And of course, in, in in our conversation now, we didn't answer all the questions. We, we even asked more questions, I have a feeling. So uh, our listeners, maybe are going to feel, yes, okay, but then what? But I think w- going back to what you say, Sean, about, you know, integrity really. Like if every single individual would be able to act like that in a workspace, to speak up and allow play, maybe we would live in a much, much better democratic open and inclusive society so it does start of course on the individual level with people like us who have a bit more power than others that's true with with the work we do with the networks that we have built so we are doing our part and we can even maybe do more but this is up to us to decide but we are trying to do this with this podcast, Laura and I, for instance, inviting experts like like yourselves. What I also noted in your last example, yes, expertise. We should also value expertise and knowledge, and also that just because someone s- speaks from an expert point of view doesn't mean they have to silence other people either. You know, so you talk from a sp- place of expertise, but you allow. Other people also to express themselves through their emotions as well. So bring all these things to the table and really make inclusion a conversation. So this would be my summary of our conversation today.
1: (laughs) On on my side, because of course I you you put it so so nicely uh, and so spot on, Janan. um I would just add that um, I feel that we are all optimistic about uh, where we are going. Right, um, there's a lot of energy and will to to transform to work for a better, whatever society world. Uh, individual our neighborhood we don't even have to start uh, big we have to build in small steps and everyone in its own uh, environment
2: i think for me the, the big point is you know how do we how do we create discourse i mean i'm, I'm really concerned um, you know you look at the states you look at the political environments you look at organizations and you know we're really good at polarizing i think we've got that down <laughs> we, uh, we check humans can polarize you know we can we can other people we can you know make people feel little um what's the opportunity where where, where can we go next what are the possibilities to to build new structures new organizations new realities that uh, that that do the
3: opposite of that <laughs> yeah and uh, i that's that's for me my mom my interests and Yeah, and I think there is something about where you can have your next conversation and try this out. For me, obviously, you have to feel safe. You can't be in an environment where you feel threatened. If you feel that you, you, you don't think a conversation with somebody who's giving you the feeling that you might be hurt, so move away. But if you are in a situation where somebody says something and it gets uncomfortable, um, and move away from trying to correct that person or fix that person and start having a conversation and push it forward almost like an, like an informed guide and hold that space and see if you can hold whole, how long can you hold this uncomfortable space um, and keep doing it with compassion and empathy until um, something changes there that's what I'm looking at that's what I, I find is something we've been trying to do here that, you know, it's, it really is, it, whether it's with your parents, whether it's with your family, whether it's with your team members, whether it's with somebody you just met at the bakery, um, whether it's at a party on a Friday evening, you've had two glasses of wine, and then somebody throws a yeah. comment um, about how much they really, really enjoy Trump, uh, Boris, or some of our other leaders like Moody, or or some of the other people that are seen in organisations. Um and it really hurts you and you think, no, my family has been hurt by this. I have been hurt by this. Um, and see if you can hold it and even with the alcohol in your blood. <laughs> <laughs> not uh, well all over. over. Yeah, not <laughs> well, exactly. Hold it. Um, hold it. Does not mean you're able to say that your their opinion angers you? It makes you feel upset, but hold it. Yeah. And let them feel your anger and allow it through the empathy for them to to see, well, hang on, he's not moving away, or she's not moving away. She's not gonna. She's not shutting me down, but it's actually asked the question, um, you know, um, tell me more. Why do you feel that? Tell me the experience that led you to believe that, or what is the next safe step, well, you could take um, into a world that isn't like that, you know, explore. <laughs> play with it. <laughs> exactly.
0: uh, we'll play with this. Uh, final question for you. Because we care about solidarity and uh, we're part of these big podcasting communities, so we like to give a shout out to other podcasts as well. So we would like to ask you to name uh, one podcast you are listening to right now or you really like and, and why.
3: Okay, I will go with one, learning and development, because I find there's an ex guy, ex sort of training and d guy from Disney. Left um, um, to join a company called Loop, which is L O O O P dot C O. And they have a, I think he's doing some of the best work around the future role and the future operating model of learning and development. And I think that is one fundamental structure that needs um, to change, is changing already, but really needs to stop copying each other and do what's necessary to make its people fuel their cultural ad, and stop talking about them and talk to them.
2: Yeah. There's an Italian lady by the name of uh, Aga Baya, um and she does some really great work on culture and, um, you know, how do we create these new kinds of organizations. And I think she's doing really great work uh, there. And um, um, The Way to New Work is another one. Uh, Christoph and uh, Michael in Germany, doing some, some interesting things and having really great conversations with, uh, with, with interesting uh, speakers and guests as well, too. So.
1: I would uh, move towards now asking you how um, how people can connect with you, where people can find you, if they want to start also a conversation with you on these topics. And uh, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, you can find us... Um, Online. Obviously, we're on LinkedIn. So, you know, look, just search our names. Uh, we're, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter, we're on uh, we have a website, bkokoro.com. So that's B E and then K O K O R O, which is Japanese. So, the word kokoro is Japanese for heart mind integration. So, how do we create environments where whole humans can be themselves? Um, and, th- and that's really what the work is about. You know? How do we Value all the parts of the human and allow that all to show up and hold all that space <laughs> for them.
3: Um, yeah, and 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 Imran can tell you about the upcoming events. Yeah, oh, okay. Um, I've got two. We've got we're doing one um, for Virtual X, which is for the University of Mannheim, where we'll be looking at leading virtual transformation, and this is really how we do that through. The employee experience, the distributed experience in COVID times and how can leaders use what we talked about today, the structures of belonging, and how do you create them in a distributed space where you have no control. Um, so we'll be doing a session there. and um, Also next week, um, we'll be looking at it from a diversity, equity and inclusion point of view um, with an event Vivian is doing. Um, called Amplify DEI, which I'm sure you know about as well. Yeah. Um, we are one of the 70s speakers there Wonderful. next week. Um, so you will find us there as well, talking about the same topic, but from a stronger sort of point of view from belonging to the equity.
0: Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much for this. It, it's been really a delight to talk to you both. Uh, I, I personally learned a lot, so thank you very much also for your time. Uh, this was a very exciting conversation. Uh.
1: Same here. Thank you Thank you for taking the time to sit with us and uh, this morning and, and uh, try to dive into all these very complex issues.